My wife's maternal grandfather, there's a picture of him, uh, his name is Jerry Anderson, and uh, Grandpa Jerry served in World War II. He was in the Army. He shipped out from Pearl Harbor two days uh, before it was attacked. He was uh, headed towards the Pacific Theater, and uh, Grandpa found uh, that he was uh, in his group, his unit, was assigned to a region near Papua New Guinea on an island of uh, Biak, is how I think it's pronounced. And he was there in the midst of combat. It was August 1944, the story that I'm about to tell you. It takes place in August 1944. They're in the middle of combat on that island, and he and his men uh, are looking around for uh, shelter in the place that they are, and, and where they are, they find this big, hollowed-out tree trunk. Now, the enemy is uh, some distance away, and so they, Grandpa has the idea, well, maybe we should go into the, I should go into the tree trunk and sort of use that as an observation point. Uh, that could be a place in which we can uh, sort of climb up and try to use that uh, to look out, to observe what's going on. But something stopped him from doing that. And luckily so, just a moment or so later after that thought entered his mind, a mortar shell came hurtling out of the sky right towards him and his men. Nothing they could do about it, but interestingly enough, the mortar did not hit the ground in front of them. It went straight into the trunk of the tree, exploded, and the explosion went straight up in the air. And because of the thickness of the hollowed-out trunk, absolutely no harm came to him or his men as a result of that mortar attack. Well, today, Grandpa's 94 years old. And as he looks back over his life, he would tell you that that tree trunk, that was really a picture of God being a shield for him and protecting him. That God's presence there, providing that protection, that was the difference between life and death. And that looking back over his long life since that point, that that was a great picture of how God has protected him the whole way through his life. Well, King David too, a man that we've spent a good portion of time this year looking at, he knows something of what it's like to be in war. And he knows something of what it's like to be protected by God in the midst of danger on the battlefield. And this morning we're going to look at a psalm that David wrote. A psalm that he wrote near the end of his life. Looking back over his life at all the different ways that God had rescued him. All the different ways that God had protected him and been there for him. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you're using one of the church's Bibles... That's page 232, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now I told you we were going to look at a psalm that David wrote, and we are looking at a psalm that David wrote. We're looking at Psalm 18. You say, well, why did we turn to 2 Samuel 22? It's because Psalm 18 is embedded in 2 Samuel 22. It's the identical same text. It shows up twice in the Bible. So important, I think, is what David had to say at the end of his life about God being a rescuer, about God being a shield, 
and a protector and someone who defended his life. That when David wrote this psalm praising God for all his faithfulness in protecting him, the Holy Spirit saw fit to include it twice in the scriptures. Once in Psalm 18 and once in 2 Samuel 22. We're going to look at it in 2 Samuel 22. Now we're not done with the book of 2 Samuel. It just seemed that the Lord had chosen this psalm for this service this morning. Next week we're going to be back in 2 Samuel 13. But today we're in 2 Samuel 22. And we begin in verse number 1. David sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies... And from the hand of Saul. We're near the end of David's life, and he's looking back over his life, and as he thinks about all the times he's been rescued, this is the psalm that he writes to commemorate that and to praise the Lord. Now, like Grandpa, David's initial stories of God's rescue, many of them took place on the battlefield. That when he thinks about God as a rescuer, He's thinking about God rescuing him from physical harm, from his enemies, from those who want to kill him. But as we go through this psalm, we're going to find out that the language that David uses is much broader than language simply confined to the battlefield. It is applicable to when God rescues us physically from those who want to harm us. But it's much broader. Byron was quoting from this psalm earlier, just a few minutes ago in our children's sermon, using the language of drowning. And that language is in this psalm, and it's the idea that whenever in life you find yourself drowning, you know that time in which life feels like it's closing in, in which you feel like you can't catch your breath, in which it feels like things are too difficult? For example, if your family is going through the difficulties of divorce, it can feel like your whole world is exploding. That somehow you're drowning in the midst of life. That same feeling can come if perhaps you've been the victim of cyberbullying. And maybe you're afraid to go online or go back to school because everywhere you've been picked on and mocked and ridiculed and you're constantly uh, getting harassing texts and messages being sent to you. It can create a feeling of panic like there's no safe place that you can be. It can be the same thing that when you're in the waiting room at the hospital and you're waiting for the doctor to come out and tell you what the prognosis is for a loved one. That feeling that life feels out of control, that you're sort of drowning. It can even sometimes be hard to breathe in those situations, the anxiety and the stress. It can be the same panic when your young adult child comes home and announces that he's just gotten engaged to the girl that you know is terrible for him and that you had been hoping and praying uh, he would come to his senses and break up with her, but instead he's chosen to marry her. That sort of feeling that life is out of control, that there's nothing you can do about certain things. That same panic that a soldier can feel on the battlefield, that their life is in danger, we all can feel that kind of panic when life spirals out of control. And what David has to say today about God as a rescuer applies equally to physical danger as well as spiritual or mental or emotional or relational. Any time in which it feels like we're drowning in life. Now, 2 Samuel 22 is broken up into a number of sections. 
in it, David is going to go through first who God is for us in the midst of these kinds of difficult situations. Then he's going to tell us what God does for us when we're in need of rescue. Third, he's going to share with us who it is that God chooses to rescue. He's going to tell us how he does it. And then finally, the last section of this psalm is why. Why does God go about rescuing? So let's look at the psalm together. It's broken up into sections. The first one, verses 2 through 7, is a description of who God is for those who are in need of rescue. David says, verse 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent men you save me. And here in just two verses, there are eight separate images, metaphors of who God is. Most of them are defensive in nature. God's a shield. God's a fortress. God is a stronghold. But of all the ones listed here, the most important metaphor that's given for God is that God is rock. David says, God is my rock. Twice in these two verses, the word rock appears. It's going to appear five times in this psalm total. And David is saying that God is my rock in the midst of trouble. Now, rock gives the image of strength. Stability, safety. A rock is immovable. So we're not talking about a little stone here. We're talking about a giant rock, a boulder, a mountain even. And David says that God is my strength and stability. He's my immovable object in the midst of difficult times. A rock is something that you stand on and you feel safe. A rock is something that you hide behind and feel secure. And what God is saying is that in the midst of the battlefield of life, that God himself is the shelter, he's the protection that we can hide behind. I'm so glad that God chose to put that hollowed out tree trunk on that battlefield so that Lisa's grandfather could remain safe from that mortar blast. I'm glad that God did that so that grandpa could come home from World War II and a few years later be led to faith in Jesus. And I'm glad that he was able to take that faith in Jesus and raise his oldest daughter in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that she could pass that on to my wife. But if God hadn't been a shield for him, a rock in the middle of battle, none of that would have happened. That tree trunk was the difference between life and death. That's the image here, that God is the difference between life and death, that when the mortar shell goes off in our life, for example, in the case of divorce, divorce feels like a bomb exploding in the middle of our family. What this is saying is that in the midst of that, God is a rock that you can run behind and hide. The children who seek shelter in the Lord in the midst of divorce they'll be just fine. That a spouse who runs to God and finds shelter, they're going to make it. 
that the difference between life and death is not whether there is a bomb or not. We all go through difficult life situations that can destroy us. The difference is where we run for safety. And David says, in the middle of the field, there is a rock. And if you hide yourself in that rock, you will be safe. Now the question is, David refers to God as my rock. Verse, three, the Lord, verse two, the Lord is my rock. Verse three, my God is my rock. And the question is, how does God, who is the rock, become my rock? Verse seven, David says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The way a rock becomes my rock is when you run to it on the battlefield there are lots of places you can try to hide there are lots of places you can uh, seek security what turns that rock into my rock is when I run to it you see there's only one place you can run for safety you can only be in one place at one time And the question is, when that bomb goes off, when you get that bad news, when you get that that difficult piece of information, what's the first thing you and I think to do? Do we think, i got to get my lawyer on the phone. i got to find a doctor. i got to sit down with my pastor. I need to share this with my spouse. I need to ask my parents. I need to quick talk to a friend. Or is it, i got to find God. I must find time to pray. I, got, I have to call out and cry out to God. Now hear me right. God uses lawyers and doctors and pastors and parents and friends and all of those things. But who's that first th- person you want to call on that phone? Who's that first person you want to run to and talk to when you get that news? God says there's only one real rock in the middle of life. And if you run to him, then God the rock becomes God your rock and God my rock the second section of this psalm deals with what does God do God is our rock how does he what what does he do verses 8 through 20 we're going to look at just verses 17 through 20 David says God reached down from on high and took hold of me he drew me out of deep waters He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What does God do for those who are in the midst of trouble? I love the language that David uses, it's the language that Byron was helping explain to us, that of drowning. And look, I don't care how old you are or how long you've been swimming, you can find yourself in the middle of water and start to feel like it's too much for you. You can be out in the lake and the waves too big, you can be out in the ocean and the undertow too strong, you can even, kids at my age, be in the pool and think, man, that, the side feels a little bit too far away. You're tired and you're sort of gasping for breath and you've maybe taken in some water into your lungs and you're thinking, man, I wish the side of the pool was just a little bit closer. I wish I wasn't in the deep end right now. 
And there can be just a little bit of panic that begins to rise up in your life and you begin to think, wow. Or you can be wrestling in the pool and someone can be on top of it and you think, I don't think I'm getting up from this. And that sense of panic, that's what David is talking about. That's the same kind of panic that you can feel when all of a sudden you turn your air conditioning on to start the summer and it doesn't work and you think, well, how am I going to pay for that? Or you get epic rains in April and your basement floods and you think, how are we going to afford that? Or there's hail damage on your car and you think, I didn't budget for that. Or a new baby arrives and you're overjoyed, but then you start to think, well, there's some expenses associated with this. Or you've got a child getting married or going off to college or perhaps you're near retirement and you sit down to do the retirement calculator, what year can I retire? And it comes back when you're 95. (laughs) And we laugh about it, but you know that panic that begins to rise, that sort of, I'm drowning here. That feeling like, well, there's too much month left at the end of the budget. (laughs) How am I going to do this? That's the imagery that David is giving here. The imagery that we all know, that we all feel that we can relate to. The fact that it feels like the world's closing in on us. The fact that it feels like the water, the weight is too much for us. That in the middle of the ocean you think no matter how strong I am, I'll never beat this ocean. It's too big. In the middle of that, David says, God reaches down, grabs hold of us and picks us up. It's just like the story Byron was telling this morning. Here's this man that finds him and grabs him and lifts him out of the water. That's what God does for us. In some ways, this is the opposite image of a rock. A rock is something you run to. Here, God is running to us. And you put these two together, and this is the picture of who God is. God is the place that you can go for safety, but he's also the person that when you cry out and can do nothing, grabs hold of you and lifts you and sets you on solid ground. All of a sudden, God provides a little bit of extra money to pay for that air conditioner that you weren't expecting. God gives you a raise at work that you weren't expecting. God has a friend come alongside and say, you know, I don't know why, but God, the Lord has led me just to see if we could help you with something. And you think, he lifted me out of waters that were too much for me. He set me on solid ground. That's what God does to those who cry out to him. Third section is verses 21 through 28. And the question that David is answering is, who is the kind of person that God rescues? God is a rock. He's a place we can run for rescue. He grabs hold of us in the midst of times of drowning. But who does he do this for? What David says is summarized in verse 28. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. Those who are proud, God's actually the one pushing them under the water. Those who are humble, God is the one lifting them from the water. For example, if you received news this week that your job was being eliminated and you thought to yourself, wow, that's quite a blow, but you know, I think I'll be okay. This will be a chance for me to look around to see what else is out there. Maybe if I transfer and move to another company, I'll be able to have an even higher position. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, but I've got lots of connections on LinkedIn and I've been doing the networking thing that I'm supposed to be doing. I can, I can call some of those guys. 
Maybe you think to yourself, well, just a few months ago, the headhunters were calling. I'll just call them back and see if any of those opportunities are available. Maybe this would be a good time to, to launch out and try to start my own business. I've always wanted to do that. If that's your response to that kind of news, you'll never write a psalm like this at the end of your life. This will not be your psalm. If instead, when that news arrives, you think to yourself, but I'm 55 years old. Who's going to hire me? How in the world am I going to find a job? I've invested all of this time and all of this energy here. I don't even know where to look. I don't even know how to begin. And you cry out to the Lord and you're like, Lord, please have mercy on me. I've tried to follow you. I've tried to do the right thing. I know I haven't always been perfect, but I've confessed my sins. I want to live for you. I want to be a person who fears you. Please help me. Please show up. I don't know how many months I can make it. If that's your response, then this is your psalm. This is the psalm you will write. David says, not everybody receives rescue from God. Those who are haughty, who think, I got this under control. God says, okay, have at it. Those who are humble, those who beg God for mercy, those who acknowledge, those of us who acknowledge our shortcomings, confess them to the Lord and say, but Lord, I'm trying. God says, and I'm here to rescue you. Second to last section, verses 29 through 43. And here David tells us how God rescues us. God is our rock. He is the one who rescues us. He rescues the humble. But how does he do it? Verse 33 summarizes what he says. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. David's been through a lot of trouble in life by the time he writes Psalm 18. Goliath, all those years wandering in the wilderness running from Saul. Nabal and being treated poorly by him. The difficulties, remember the Ark of the Covenant? And him being unable to bring it to Jerusalem because Uzzah had been killed and he was afraid. All the trouble with the Philistines that he went through. The Bathsheba. Now we've got some more stories of David's trouble. We're not done yet. We've got to see Absalom's revolt yet. Shammai's rebellion. Those are still coming. But by the time 2 Samuel 22 has been written, those have happened. And David looks back over his vast experience of being in the middle of trouble. And he's learned that there are two things that God does every time you find yourself in need of rescue. He provides strength and guidance. He gives you the strength to endure and he tells you which way to go. This past Monday, we received an email that Bill Askell Sr., He's a longtime member of Calvary Church and a, actually a longtime family friend of, of ours. Had suddenly gone unexpectedly into cardiac arrest. I went to the hospital and there his wife and children were gathered around. And they were befuddled as to what to do. When he went into cardiac arrest, it took the doctor some 20 minutes uh, to revive him. The only reason he was alive at that point was because he was on life support. He was 
Bill's just shy of his 89th birthday. Family saying, well, what do we do here? How long and to what extent should we extend life support and sort of these artificial means to keep his life going? Of course we want our dad and husband and grandpa to be around, but what do we do in this situation? What if there's a chance for him to make it out of this? What if we, if we turn all this off and he has a chance? How are we supposed to know what to do? And there was absolute confusion. And as I went there, I felt compelled to say in my mind as I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to say to them? And God said, well, I didn't pick Psalm 18 by accident. <laughs> and so I read Psalm 18, 2 Samuel 22, to them. And I said, he's promised that if you call to him, he will provide guidance and strength. And I've been in their situation. And, and then they looked at me the same way I would look at anybody saying the same thing, like, you got to be crazy. Like, how, we are so confused, there's no way. How are we ever going to know? And my answer is, I don't know. But God will tell you, he promised he would. He promised he would. That he would provide guidance and strength. And it was, on, it was amazing. On Monday morning, absolute confusion. By Wednesday, perfect clarity. God had told Bill's wife, Bernice, and each of the children that he wanted to take Bill home to be with him that they were not to continue artificial life support, that God had ordained this and planned this. And every single one of them was at peace. There was no disagreement. The doctors were actually amazed. And Bill uh, Jr., Bill's son, said to me later, you're right, it was the Lord, he told us. He made it absolutely clear this is what he wanted. And Bill said, more than that, he gave us strength in the middle of this overwhelming storm that they weren't expecting for, that they hadn't braced themselves for, when this bomb went off in the middle of the battlefield of their life, that God was this rock that they were hiding behind. He was this rock that they were standing on. And yesterday we had the funeral for Bill Askell Sr. And God was amazingly present there, being strength. Strength to his wife, his children, his grandchildren, to the people of his church who knew him and are missing him. That's what God promises he will do. I will give you guidance and I will give you strength. And I know I've been there just like you have. And in the front end, when it's all dark, you think, but how's this guidance gonna come? How am I gonna know? What day is it going to be there? God doesn't say any of those things. But he does say, trust me, you'll know. You'll know what I want you to do. That's why God's a rock. A rock is something that you stand on for strength, but it's also something that you see in the horizon that guides your path. And David's saying, I've learned over many years that God will always provide strength and guidance to help in the midst of the troubles of life. Final section is verses 44 to 51. Why is God a rescuer? Why does he go about saving us? Verses 50 and 51. Therefore I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed. 
to David and his descendants forever. As David looks back on his life a few verses earlier, he actually says, there are people that I don't even know who are subject to me. How did I get here? How did I go from being this little shepherd boy to being this king? How is it that I have come through all of these trials and all of these troubles and have made it through unscathed and God has done for me more than I could have ever possibly imagined? David is saying, how can that be? And his one answer, God is kind. God is compassionate. God is loving. That's the reason that David has been brought through all that stuff. Yes, David's been humble. Yes, David has sought the Lord. Yes, David has cried out to the Lord. But if you're asking for the fundamental center reason, why was he rescued over and over again? It's just because God is kind. I've heard Grandpa say the same thing. Not just about what happened in World War II on the battlefield with the tree trunk and the mortar shell. But when grandpa got home and lost a child, as he went through the ups and downs of business and the difficulties there, as he walked through the deep valley of his wife's depression with her, as he's dealt with the fact that you can't control the choices that your children and grandchildren make, I've heard grandpa say the same thing looking back over his life when he sees that God has brought him safely through all those things, his response is it's because God is kind. God sees his children in trouble and he reaches out to help us. And the question for each of us this morning is when we get near the end of our lives like grandpa is near the end of his, like David is near the end of his, What's the psalm we're going to write? Are we going to look back over our life and say, I did it my way. I survived. I worked hard. I tried my best. I did the best that I could. Or like David, are we going to look back and go, God rescued me because he's kind. God was my rock. When there was no place to run, I ran to him and he protected me. He kept me safe through financial ruin, through family issues, through health, through all these things God has been there for me. Now listen, I'm not asking you right now because right now you may be in the middle of it. You may be in the middle of the darkness and you may be saying, well, I don't know. I'm saying to you, listen to what David is saying. Listen to what Grandpa saying. Listen to what people around this church who have been with God for a long period of time are saying. It's not that God keeps us from all trouble. It's that he protects us in the midst of trouble. And that when you look back and you say, man, he's been kind. Any one of those things could have destroyed me. The difference between life and death on the battlefield is the size of the rock that you hide behind. And David gets to the end of his life and he says, the Lord is my rock. Hide behind whatever rock you want to hide behind. But God, he's my rock. And the encouragement to us this morning is, is that if God's been your rock, let's praise him. If God's not currently your rock, get out from behind whatever rock you think you're hiding behind and run to him. 
he will pull you out of deep waters. He will give you strength and guidance for whatever you're going through. There's no situation beyond his power. There is no situation beyond his wisdom. And he gives them freely to us. Because he's kind and he's good and he's loving. 